This episode is brought to you by Explore More Summit 2018. If you are listening on the day this episode drops, then we are going to be on day seven of 10 for Explore More Summit, which means if you sign up, it's totally free, it's entirely online, then you're going to get 12 talks for free. There's still 12 more to go, and there are some awesome talks that we've got over the next couple of days, including Sunny and Ken talking all about kink, Danielle Perez, who's a comedian, uh, Mia Little, who is a a porn performer and a um, cam person. We've got Elise Peterson, who is an artist and a new mom talking about motherhood, and Cindy Gallup talking all about make love, not porn. So if you want in Again, it's all online, totally free, and some of the yummiest conversations that I have all year long. Just go to exploremoresummit.com to grab your spot. And of course, join our Facebook community. We are having the most amazing, delicious, supportive, vulnerable conversations, and I would love to have you there. You're listening to. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to. Sex gets real. Sex gets real. Sex gets real. Sex gets real. With Don Sarah. With Don Sarah. Thanks. Bye. Hello, listeners. Welcome to this week's episode of Sex Gets Real. I am your host, Don Sarah, and I am ridiculously excited for this episode. So I want to start by saying that the Patreon bonus this week is a 15-minute discussion that I had with Sinclair Sex Smith all about strap-ons. We talked about strap-ons and cock confidence on why the person that's putting the thing in the hole is not necessarily the person who is in charge, how we can de-gender strap-ons. Um, all about giving and receiving with strap-ons, um, using a strap-on even if you have a penis, um, and kind of the transphobia that is inherent in being so tied to our genitals and gender and how we feel about strap-ons. It's so good. We talk so much about strap-ons and pegging and all that good stuff. So if you want to hear the two of us geeking out, you can go to patreon.com slash sex gets real. It is a clip that no one else in the world is getting to hear uh, as part of this year's Explore More Summit. So until it airs, you will be the very first to hear it. And it is delicious. The rest of my conversation with Sinclair is over at exploremoresummit.com. And we talk all about erotica dominance and kink as a way to be embodied and to find power and also the heartbreak of staying in relationship when it's two or more flawed human beings trying to navigate life together. It's so good. It is so good. I also want to announce that um, loads of you applied for the giveaway of Jen Cross's Writing Ourselves Whole from last week's episode. And I did a random drawing and Amanda is the winner. So Amanda, if you haven't already, check your email. I sent you a note because I would love to send you the signed copy of Jen Cross's book. So what's on tap for today? Well, my guest this week is a returning guest Amy Jo Goddard, sexual empowerment expert. And Amy Jo has been having these fucking phenomenal conversations. She has created this thing called the Sex, Power, and Leadership Conference. It actually starts April 30th. So if you're listening to this when it drops, then it's tomorrow that it starts. But it's totally free. It's online. It's similar to my Explore More Summit. But Explore More Summit is a lot about um, kind of personal growth and inquiry. And Amy Joe's conference is all about the Me Too movement. It is about power and voice. 
It's about tolerating pleasure. It's about pleasure activism. It's about um, ways that we should be changing the conversation about sex at work and in organizations. Like, what if we had sex ed and consent conversations in our workplaces as a way to like make equality and um, gender disparity something that everyone is aware of? Um, what if we could change the ways that we do healthcare and have actually empowered gynecology where maybe your doctor doesn't even touch you or use a speculum? Um, what are the possibilities? So this entire conference is talking about things like um, gender gap, wage gap, orgasm gap, and consensual power exchange as an antidote to patriarchy. There are artists and activists talking about how to end sexual violence and harassment through art. I speak on a panel called The Accessibility of Sexual Liberation with Dr. Chris Donahue from Loveline and Robin Wilson Beattie, um, who I've had on the show before. So Amy, Joe, and I actually wanted to just sit down and like geek out about these conversations. There is so much richness in this project that she's been creating. And um, I've been on the back end and the behind the scenes helping out. I cannot wait for what's going to happen when people hear these talks. I mean, Amy Jo is tackling race, gender, Me Too, gynecology, the sexual double bind for men, um, the power of birth and medicine, and changing the ways that we do midwifery. There's a live workshop all about restorative and transformative justice. There's a live workshop all about the matri what it would look like if we existed in a matriarchy. Um, I mean, Jacqueline Friedman speaking, Adrian Marie Brown, author of Emergent Strategies is speaking, Carol Queen, Meg John Barker. It's so awesome. And so this is Amy Jo and I not only talking about like some of our biggest takeaways, but also talking about um, really like personal ways that we can take these conversations to create massive change in how we experience our own autonomy and sovereignty and power. You know this is right up my alley. Because pleasure and self-care are political. And if we can be more aware of these massive conversations that are happening around like the Me Too movement and sexual harassment and racism, the more we're going to be equipped to actually make change happen. So Amy Jo Goddard is here this week, and we are super geeking out. And because I am working behind the scenes on this with her, I get something no one else in the world gets, which is to share with you some clips that like literally no one else is hearing unless they sign up for this conference. So um, right now I'm about to share a clip with you from Betty Martin talking about when we don't directly ask for what we want and we do that hinting thing, which is so passive aggressive the places it can get us stuck and all the ways we miscommunicate. And then Amy, Joe, and I are going to geek out. And there's a couple of other really rad sneak peeks, including one about letting patients swab themselves for pap smears. So stay tuned, geek out with us, and there's even baby goats mentioned. So let's kick it off with Betty Martin from Sex Power Leadership. Oh my gosh, that was a great hinter. I, I It was... I couldn't understand why my partners were not giving me what I wanted. Well, I wasn't asking and I was hinting and hinting and hinting. And I was like, um, but let me tell you a story. Of what, what happened uh, a few years back with a partner of mine and I, uh, we were fairly new to each other. We got up in the morning one day, we live in Seattle. And he said, how about a trip to Victoria? And Victoria, B.C. is a nice little ferry ride away, <clears throat> a nice little escape getaway. And he said, how about a trip to Victoria? Now, is that an offer or a request? Who knows? I heard it as a request. I heard that he wanted to go, and I wasn't really thrilled about it. But I was raised a nice Southern girl, and you always say yes. And so I said, oh, they have that British hotel where you can get tea and crumpets. Is that a yes or a no? Who knows, right? So three weeks later, we're walking down the street in Victoria. 
and we got to talking about what we liked and and we were window shopping which turns out neither of us liked so it what what came up out of that conversation was that neither of us wanted to be there he said oh i we're here because you wanted to be here i said no we're here because you wanted to be here he said <laughs> so it was very difficult at the time i laugh about it now but it was just when I was starting to think about this stuff, and it, I was just horrified that he had made what he thought was an offer, and I heard it as a request. And I had given a completely unclear, nondescript answer, and he heard that as yes, please. So, so I think that's where we often go wrong. We we are not clear about what we what we want and asking for it, and. And, um, yeah, all kinds of hilarious and awkward and awful things happen because of that. So that's a soft little introduction to some of what Amy Jo and I are going to talk about today, plus some yummy other exclusives. So here is me talking to Amy Jo. Welcome back to Sex Gets Real. Amy Jo, I can't wait to talk to you today about sex, power, and leadership. Oh my God. I am so excited to talk about sex, power, and leadership. Yes. So you have this amazing online conference that you've put together that starts on April 30th, which is tomorrow for those of you who listen to this when it drops. Uh, And I have to say, I am so excited about some of the conversations, all of the conversations and some of the people that are involved. So uh, I would love to start with just what made you want to do this? Well, I think, you know, as I was watching everything that was happening with me too, and it's like, okay, finally, this conversation is coming back around the way that it needs to come back around. Um, you know, I'm old enough to remember Anita Hill. I remember the Anita Hill hearings. I remember being glued to the television, watching her as a young feminist thinking, how is she doing this? How is she like standing up to this system um, that, you know, really doesn't support women? It made it very, very clear how much it didn't support women and how how, um, you know, race, gender, all of that uh, were so intertwined, you know, that was the big, you know, that was the beginning of this conversation. And, you know, watching it then cycle back around over 20 years later, Mm -hmm. and realizing, okay, there's this groundswell, and there's this upsurge of all the stories, we're hearing it, we, we get that it's happening, whether people are really listening or not, certainly people get that this is an issue, a problem. And so what next? Like, what what is the next step? What is the next level of conversation? Um, and that's what gets me really excited is figuring out how can we bring together um, people whose voices really, A, need to be amplified, B, have, you know, have very different perspectives that we need to be listening to and, and solutions that are things that, you know, aren't, aren't being heated that haven't been talked about in mainstream spaces. And so I really wanted to bring together people from a lot of different disciplines and perspectives and backgrounds to talk about sex and power, to talk about leadership and where we go from here. And so to me, the sex power and leadership online conference is the 2.0 conversation, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like we know that this is an issue. Okay. Now let's like, let's get down and dirty with it. And, you know, figure it out, Um, like figure out what's next, you know, at least some next steps. Um, We're not going to find all the answers next week, but there's, there's a lot of good stuff that, you know, that I think is going to really feed people and feed our work. So, so many of the people that are participating in these conversations have been on the show in the past. So for people who love Jacqueline Friedman and Meg John Barker and Robin Wilson Beatty and Andrea Barica and Zena Sharman, they've all been on the show and you have so many other amazing voices. Who are some of the people you're most excited about folks tuning in for? Oh my God. They're all so good. You know, it's like, it's all so good. Like I hate (laughs) to pick favorites, you know, but yeah, I mean, Jacqueline Friedman's opening keynote is this Monday. It is phenomenal. You do not want to miss it. So, so good. 
you know, she dives into faux empowerment. She dives into, you know, talking about like what it means to empower ourselves as individuals. And then like, what do we need to be doing in our institutions and in the collective, which is one of my very big questions. I think that's a leading edge question right now is mm-hmm. how, how do we do both the individual and the collective work of empowerment around sexuality and race and intersectionality and all of these pieces that are so, so important. Um, so yeah, so she's, she's kicking us off with the opening, um, opening keynote. And then our opening plenary panel is on intersectionality around race, sexuality, gender, and, um, power and, and all of that with, you know, Ida Mondelay and, you know, uh, Marla Renee Stewart from Velvet Lips and Sex Down South and Delicia from, Afrosexology. Afrosexology. Um, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Like that every time, you know, and I know you and I have talked about this, like every time we listen to, you know, it, we're just like, <laughs> so good. So good. good. Yeah. You know, and really getting into the issue of transformative justice, you know, and this is something that mm-hmm. people are going to hear more and more about. You're going to hear a lot about this at the conference. Um, Diana Adams and Andy, I are going to be doing actually a live workshop on transformative justice um, in the middle of the conference. So that's also something to really keep an eye out for. Um, I wanted to have that live element where we can really dive in together and really look at like, what does transformative justice look like? Because our justice system, it's not transformative. It is not transformative justice by any stretch of, of the imagination. And so, so what does that really look like? And how is that coming out of communities? And how can we be building processes of transformative justice? You know, here we are on the heels of the Bill Cosby verdict coming out. Um, mm. you know, so there's going to be a lot of talk about, you know, yeah, what do we do? You know, can could, could someone like Cosby be rehabilitated? Um, what would a transformative justice situation look like? You know, in a situation like that, where this is a person who has, you know, drugged and raped, you know, women, countless, countless women for decades, you know, like, what do we do in a situation like that? Yeah. So those are just a couple of the openers, you know, we've got Willie Parker doing the closing keynote. We've got, you know, we've got panels throughout the week on just, just amazing topics. If people like go on and take a look at it, it's just Mm -hmm. like everything from, you know, how consensual power exchange helps us to address patriarchy to, you know, looking at the, the nexus of sex and power within sex work to, you know, looking at, um, gynecology. Yeah. Gynecology and midwifery and medicine. And, and, oh my God, there's a couple of really good panels on all of that. Because, oh God, I mean, yeah. there's so much around motherhood and around birth and, um, yeah, it just, it goes on and on. And I mean, there's really something for everyone here. We talk about the sexual double bind for men, you know, how do we address this, this, these sexual double binds that men are in, you know, um, when they're trying to be like the good guy, but then they also get caught in these patterns, Mm-hmm. Um, that don't help them that, and that don't help us because we're all socialized around gender in these particular ways. And so I think that these are really cutting edge conversations and I really want people to be a part of it. So Amy Jo just mentioned the sex work panel, which features Tina Horn, Cinnamon Maxine, and Andre Shakti, who's been on the show a few times. And I have this little clip of Andre Shakti right at the beginning of the sex work panel talking about um, the ways that sex workers are not allowed to be nuanced or to have bad days because of the really shitty narratives we have about sex workers. So here is a sneak peek of Andre Shakti at the Sex Power and Leadership Conference. There's this thing, I think, with any marginalized community, like take queer identity, for example, where when I first came out as queer uh, and I was in my first girl-girl relationship, um, I never wanted to tell my family when we were having any any problems, right? Like if we just had a fight or something like that, or like I was like, God forbid, like hesitant about a part of the relationship, like I would never, I would hesitate to communicate that because um, by communicating simply the complexities of that relationship, they would turn that around and weaponize that against me and use that to say, well, that's why this isn't made for you, right? That's why you're really straight deep down. And I feel like sex workers are constantly under pressure um, if they are out and if they do have a platform like we do um, to speak about their work, to like paint it as sunshine and rainbows all the time. And um, God forbid we have a rough day at work. You know what I mean? Like, God forbid we come home and 
we had a client we didn't like, or we shot with someone in a porn scene that we weren't attracted to and who we actually kind of despise. And we come home and we're not allowed to have space held for that um, because it is always turned around and used against us in that well. Obviously, this is unhealthy for you and you need to get out of this industry. Back to my interview with Amy Jo. So let's talk about the Cosby verdict really quickly. What was your initial response when that came out yesterday? I mean, I think it's twofold. You know, it is, yes, um, you know, to, to see one of these big guys actually actually facing, um, you know, what, of course, in our system is, is justice, you know, um, to really see that, like, that this is not just another, you know, rape case where the rapist gets off um, and, you know, the women are just um, demeaned and demoralized and they've like been forced to tell their stories only to have the disappointment of, you know, um, not being supported by our justice system, you know. And so, of course, I always want to see that. I always want to see that, you know, in the best systems that we have, that that justice happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's interesting, you know, and, and, you know, okay, we could say the jury's out, right? We could say the jury's out. We could say, you know, he is, this is the first case to really like, go through that whole process. I mean, it was already, you know, it, it, like they had to do it again. They, you know, I mean, it's been in process, right? But it's not, it's not really an accident that like, he's a man of color. He's a black man. So I'll be real curious to see when Harvey Weinstein gets to this point, what, yeah. what that looks like, you know, because to me, he's the other one that's like maybe equivalent, you know, in terms of mm-hmm. just like the scope, the, the period of time. Um, and, uh, yeah, like and the, just the ways in which he abused power. his power. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 What about you? What did you think about it, Doug? I mean, I'm glad that we're seeing. I I don't know. It's so it's so mixed. Like, I'm glad for the survivors who found relief. You know, like I saw pictures of them crying and weeping and collapsing on each other from relief that this had finally happened. And so for me, that was, Mm -hmm. you know, the most important part of that was those Mm -hmm. survivors clearly needed something and they got a piece of that from that verdict. And so I love that, you know, but I also, I don't know. I mean, the prison industrial complex and just like the lack of justice in our justice system. I don't really have much faith in it these days. And um, and it makes me like the level of rage that I have defies words that, you know, I was reading an article yesterday that said 50 women at this point have come forward. With Cosby. And only Right, with Cosby. Right. And only one, one. had yeah. enough that they could do enough a trial around. Right. 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 And like that is unacceptable on like every yeah. level. Yeah. And I mean, the hopelessness that comes behind that of will it always require dozens of people in order for one person to be believed? And I hope not, but I think at least at this stage of the game, you know, we aren't skilled enough as a society yet to have these conversations and to believe survivors. And so I think the conversations that you're having are a big part of how we move that forward. Um, But I definitely had some like really mixed reactions of just like, I'm so happy the survivors had that and like what bullshit that it took 40 years and all of these people and an entire global movement to finally actually get to this point. Right. To get one story, right. <laughs> like retribution for one story, which doesn't like diminish the importance no. of that. And yes, it's, it's really an important point that, you know, we're talking countless, countless people. Yeah. 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 So 
from all the conversations that you've had with these incredible thought leaders, I mean, like some of it literally blew my mind. I mean, in one of the panels where people were talking about like um, birth and power and just kind of like the trauma that can happen to Mm -hmm. women in hospitals, like one of them said, I can't remember who it was. It might've been Pamela Samuelson, but one of them said something like, of course, people who are giving birth feel disempowered. They're on their backs with their legs spread, surrounded by strangers and like all lights on them. There's no power in that position. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of had this like, oh my God, you're right. Like the most disempowering position you can be in. And like, so, so many of those moments happen through so many of the talks. What for you personally has been kind of a big aha or a big like shift of like, holy shit, I hadn't thought about that before. Oh man, there's, there's moments in every single one of the talks. I think, um, you know, I loved my talk with Adrian Marie Brown Mm. um, and that talk is going to, be on Tuesday. And she, she really, I've been thinking a lot about this idea of like heroicism lately. Um, Like the heroicism that people want to have in communities to kind of like be the one, um, be the voice. Um, Oh, the movement can't handle it without me. You know, Mm -hmm. there's just like a lot of ego, you know, and this morning on our on our Twitter chat with Ms. Magazine, Ada Mandalay was, um, Ida Mandalay was, was writing about that as well. You know, and and Adrian just talked about that in such a beautiful way. Um, how yeah. we really have to get out of the isolationism and this. I you know, you know, I'm paraphrasing here. You know, she's she says it much more eloquently. You should listen to it. But <laughs> but yeah, that you know, really challenging that idea of needing to be the one to stand out, the one to say it, the one to do it. You know, needing to be the trailblazer and you know that it's so much is about coming back into community and doing it together and that each of us has that that role to play and i think we've got to be having new conversations about that and what mm-hmm. that looks like and she talked about how you know a lot of times we're playing out you know like leaders are playing out their trauma in, yes in their leadership because you know you know, and, and several speakers talked about this, like Afrosexology, you know, several people talked about how, you know, yeah, we're bringing that into the movements because, you know, that's sometimes the reason why people are coming into movements and, and becoming activists. Yes. Um, and so we have to remember that, you know, inside of our movements, people have been traumatized and we don't want to inadvertently replay that trauma as we do the healing work, because then that just keeps us cycling back. So I feel like that's an idea I'm really chewing on. I'm really like what that needs to look like and, you know, how we can just be more effective both within our movements and within our own healing, which again links back to what Jacqueline was talking about in her talk around, you know, looking at that individual work. It's not just the individual empowerment work. It's the individual healing work. It's the individual therapy. It's the, you know, it's all of that self-care and then what we're doing in the collective and in our communities. So, yeah. 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 So how does pleasure fit into all of these conversations? Oh my God. It came up so many times, you know, Adrienne Marie (laughs) Brown talking about her pleasure activism. We talk at length about pleasure activism and how critical and important that is. Um, We also, you know, Marla, Renee Stewart on the race panel, really talking about that. Um, quite a few people brought that up in, mm-hmm. in the panels, you know, and I think also like thinking about birth, you know, and this idea that we're supposed to divorce ourselves from sexuality and pleasure in order to birth, that it's like something that we have to suffer through and that actually pleasure is what, what helps to make that experience so much better mm-hmm. um, for everybody. Um, you know, and I think it's the thing that, you know, I think a lot of times people look at pleasure like it's extraneous, you know, mm-hmm. it's extra. It's it's just the bonus that maybe you might get at the end of some hard work or the end of something, you know. And it's like, man, pleasure has to be a part of everything we're doing. I fully believe we would not we would not be here in these human bodies capable of so much pleasure if we weren't meant to experience pleasure. And, yeah. you know, there's so much pain in our world. 
there's so much trauma. There's so many things that are wrong with our world that if we are not upholding pleasure and making sure that we are experiencing pleasure every single day in the things that we're doing, we are going to get burned out. Like mm -hmm. we have to think about pleasure. I went to the goat farm yesterday. I was like, <laughs> I'm in the middle of launching this big conference, but I need to go pet the goats and, you know, <laughs> and the puppies and everybody at the goat farm. There's a lot of, there's a lot of little beans at the goat farm and the llamas, you know, <laughs> like I needed to go there and just like re like reset my system, you know, mm -hmm. being with animals, petting animals. We know that that like resets our systems. And so we've got to do that in the ways that we know how, um, yeah. you know, whether it's like an orgasm break or whether it's like going and being in nature, whether it's stopping to meditate, whether it's laughing with a friend, going out for dinner, like whatever the things are, taking a bath, whatever the things are that give us pleasure and that bring us joy that we can be doing for ourselves on a day-to-day -day basis. We have to be doing that because if we just white knuckle it through our activist work, through our social change work if, through just whatever we're doing on a day in and day out basis in the mm -hmm. world, that's not living. That's not why we're here. And I think we really lose sight of what's important when we don't take that seriously. Pleasure is not extraneous. Pleasure is crucial, actually. Yeah. And I would say that's a big theme of this conference. Yeah. And I even think like at a very personal level, I know you know this as someone who does coaching and has for many years, but so many people are just kind of tolerating yeah. when it comes to sex and pleasure and the ways that they experience their sexual and erotic selves of just kind of this tolerating. And so I love this pleasure activism kind of approach of like, no, pleasure is crucial. It's it's like pleasure has to be a part of the equation if we want to expect to have healthy relationships with self, with each other, with community and do healing work and like ask these big questions. I mean, like it has to be a part of all of it. So I love mm -hmm. how you're saying like, it's crucial. It's not just a nice to have bonus. Yeah. And I do think that's how most people treat it. And I think when people are in long-term sexual relationships where they're not happy, that is what it becomes. It, you know, and I, and I would say particularly for women who, you know, there's a lot of women that are just, they're tolerating whatever sex life they have with a long-term partner that isn't really meeting their needs because they think it's their obligation as a partner to provide whatever it is they're providing. And their pleasure is so secondary that, um, they don't even, you know, I think they get to a point where it's just like they're not even seeking it anymore because there's almost a disbelief that they can have it. Yeah. So uh, a lot of the conversations that you're having, which I think are so important and so overlooked, are when we're talking about sexuality and we're talking about relationships and we're talking about you know, kind of moving past these systems of harassment and oppression, mm -hmm. we have to be able to talk about sex at work. Yeah. And that's something that's so missing from, I want to say, 99.9% .9 of corporate environments is a willingness to actually have conversations about sex and consent and power dynamics because companies are terrified. So it's just like, not it. Yeah. Um, what are some of the conversations that you've been having with awesome people for your conference and that, you know, you're kind of thinking about ways we can do this better? Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I really believe that we need to be talking about sexual violence and sexual harassment from multiple perspectives. And I, you know, what, what I think we've heard, you know, even in like feminist communities for so many years has been, well, you know, sexual violence is just about power. You know, sexual harassment is just about power. You know, it's not about sex. And I, I just, I firmly disagree. I, de I, I disagree deeply with that. I think that our culture's misunderstanding and about sex and our inability to deal with sexuality in a healthy way has everything to do with sexual violence and sexual mm -hmm. harassment. And so I think we do ourselves a deep disservice and we do our movements a deep disservice when we want to like create this black and white way of looking at something because it's so scary to look at sex and how sex might be a part of the equation, you know? And so I think like there's some interesting things that people in feminist movements need to look at. 
Why do you not want to deal with sex? Why is that so scary? I mean, a lot of times there is a sexual neutering that is going on, like a self neutering that is going on. Like, I don't want to deal with this. And it's safer for me to be out here talking about gender inequality, but we're not going to talk about how that impacts us in the bedroom. And there's a long, long history of that in feminist movements, you know, um, you know, white feminism, definitely like erasing sex and sexuality from the equation because, you know, they thought like, oh, that's not going to move our movement forward. We're not going to be taken seriously. Um, and there may have been some truth to that, um, you know, but that is that's not unlike the way race has been dealt with in feminist movements. That is not unlike the way sex work has been dealt <laughs> with in feminist movements. That's not unlike the way kinky people have been dealt with in the LGBTQ community. I mean, you know, there's all these ways in which we can be like, oh, that's not our issue. You know, we're just going to talk about this squeaky clean mainstream conversation. And so I think that that's what a lot of workplaces are doing. It's like this this um, veil of, oh, this is a squeaky clean, sanitized work environment and sex doesn't belong here, you know, and I call bullshit on that, you know, and I think like our, like we have a panel on organizations where Andrea Barrico was talking about that. She's like, people, people fall in love at work, you know, <laughs> like, yep. um, you know, that, that's, that there are sexual dynamics at work and, you know, and it doesn't mean that they're all bad, but what we do need to be doing is dealing with them. And helping people learn to deal with them, learn about consent, learn about communication and negotiation, um, look at the power structures that could be affecting how people make their decisions and approach those dynamics. That's the like 3.0 conversation we need yeah. to be having in workplaces. Um, and I would say most workplaces are not even close to that. Oh, yeah. Not not at all. I mean, no, I think workplaces struggle to even deal with people who are like openly dating. Uh, right. And you know, yeah. I mean, much less talking about and acknowledging the power that's present between the hierarchy that is, you know, most mainstream corporations and uh, wage differences and all of the things that then also impact the sexual harassment and the expectations of tolerating mm. certain behaviors. And uh, I agree, like, it's a place where we need something that's not really existed before. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, and I think one of the other big things is, I get that human resources is fundamentally about protecting the company, not the employee. Totally. And that I couldn't think, be more evident right, around this exactly, issue. Couldn't right. be more evident. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thanks, and I, HR. And, right. Thank you, thank you for tricking yes. us. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's like one of the starting places. I think it was Melissa um, Binkley from uh, the Art and Activism Against Ending Sexual Harassment panel. Okay. Uh, Another great panel. I mean, yeah, they're all so, so good. good. They're all so good. They're all yeah. so good. Yeah. Um, but like this this idea of we need to be able to have third party accountability mm -hmm. where we can disclose harassments and um, inequalities and injustice to someone who is not fundamentally responsible to the company itself. Right. Um, and I think that's really scary, but mm -hmm. that's the only way we start having better conversations, at least right now. Yeah. 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 I don't think they can do it from within. I mean, they do need other professionals, you know, that, and that people like you and I, people like Melissa, people like Leila Zainab, people like Sidney Mosley, who are doing the work in other spaces and can bring it in and can really bring this level of expertise. Um, I think, you know, that that just is such a theme around sexuality that it's like, you know, even from when we're young, right? It's like you're in school and it's like, who do they get to teach sex ed? The gym teacher. Right. What? Because the gym teacher teaches something that has to do with the body? Like, right. that doesn't mean they know how to have conversations about emotions. That doesn't mean that they have any relationship skills. That doesn't mean that they, like, you know, mm -hmm. have any idea how to talk about sensitive issues, you know? And, you know, I think that this is just like another version of that. It's just like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll just get some, you know, random person to do this you know, this training on sexual harassment, because that's no big deal, right? And we'll mm -hmm. just get them to watch a video. And then like, then we'll just call it done. It's like, no, you need to bring in people who are trained to do this, people who've spent their lives figuring out how to have these conversations, and how to move the needle and how to hold a group and how to create 
um, you know, work with group dynamics and, and also to create change, both on an institutional and individual level. Like that is what needs to be happening. Yes. Hire the right people to do it. Stop thinking that you can handle this. I know they're overwhelmed. I know they're like, oh my God, we're freaking out. What do we do? Okay. So then hire, hire the people that can actually help you have that conversation mm -hmm. in the way that you need to. Like Kali Williams, who's one of our speakers, does great work around this as well. It's like hire, there are people doing this work. Yeah. Yeah. And it can't be like, I mean, just at the most fundamental level, we cannot, we cannot be investing in companies that have like cis white dudes yep. at the very top of the power pyramid who are only make the only ones making decisions. I mean, like that's not where we should be investing our time and our money and our support. If these things matter to us, you know, like, uh, and, and like, I think the thing that I just want to stress for everybody is like, yes, we're talking about workplaces. Yes, we're talking about like massive systems of inequity around race and gender and power. But like this has such a personal impact on us. You know, I mean, like if I don't feel safe at work, then how am I going to be able to come home and like surrender to my body and to be really present with a partner? I mean, it's yeah. just, it impacts everything. Well, and one of my things too is that in talking about the workplace and addressing the workplace as this like sexually neutered zone, <laughs> you know, it's like people don't come to work neutered. People don't yeah. come to, people don't get ready for work and they're like in their closet and they're like, I'm not going to put my sexuality on today. I'm going to wear the suit. You know, like they don't yep. do that. I mean, yeah, we put on masks. We do, we, we play the part. We dress the part. We do the things we need to do. But our sexuality comes with us. We come to work as whole people. And so when we don't address people as whole people, we do them a, a deep disservice. And, I, yeah. you know, there are some people that are like, well, this isn't the job of the workplace. We, we shouldn't have to have these conversations in the workplace. I beg to differ. Yeah. I think that, I think that this is a very different world we're living in. And clearly the way we've been doing it isn't working. So... I think that we do have to look at how can we be having more cutting edge conversations in the workplace. And I think to your point around the fact that, you know, a lot of these companies are being run by cis white dudes who, you know, have a lot of power and don't have a lot of uh, awareness about these dynamics and these issues because they have such huge blind spots. Also, I think a lot of times their HR departments are being run by white women Mm -hmm. who are doing their bidding and who are benefiting from patriarchy. And so they're not challenging those status quos. Yes. And, and so we have to look at those dynamics too. Yes, completely. And I, and I think like we have to be willing to get uncomfortable mm -hmm. and we have to be willing to have tough conversations and that is at the professional level, that is at the personal level, that is at the sexual level. I mean, like these skills that, that we have not been taught because we're not an emotionally intelligent society yet, uh, mm -hmm. you know, like we have to be able to say, hey, something's not not okay here. I'm noticing patterns that don't work for me. And whether that's to a partner or that's to the organization that you're working with, like, yes, that's risky. Um, but having those conversations is the only way that we make change. And certainly if we have any kind of privilege, you know, if, if we are white, cis, middle-class, uh, you know, and have a certain level of kind of like economic power, we should be the ones that are starting those conversations and kind of taking the hit because right. it's not fair that we're putting the burden on our trans folks and people of color and disabled folks to be mm -hmm. kind of like stepping up and trying to do that fight. Like, yeah. uh, you know, the invitation is out there and I think like the conversations are happening. I think people are just um, scared and uncomfortable and not quite sure how to get in, you know, because yeah. I think there's this yeah. fear of messing up and saying the wrong thing. Oh my God. That piece is huge. That piece is huge. Yeah. That is impacting us in such unbelievable ways, you know, and it's like, if, if we continue to create environments where everybody is afraid to speak up because we're ripping each other's heads off when we get it wrong, we're not going to get anywhere, Yeah, you know? Um, and so, I mean, that's what I really appreciate, you know, with people like Marla Renee Stewart, Ida Mondelez, um, you know, Willie Parker, 
mm-hmm. um, a lot of the, you know, Meg, Meg John Barker, a lot of the, the speakers, uh, Adrian Marie Brown, that, that are a part of the Sex, Power, and Leadership Conference. They're speaking about these things in ways that make it safe for people to grapple with the things that are hard, to, to try their best, to not always get it right, um, but to, to make those, those, to take the risks. And as I think we have to be creating environments where people can take the risks. One of my best friends is uh, a woman of color that teaches Africana studies uh, and uh, Latin American studies. And so, of course, she's addressing, you know, she's a sociologist, she's addressing race in her classrooms all the time. And she's been talking about this, you know, this year, especially with a lot of the things coming to the fore, um, how afraid students are to speak up in class, mm-hmm. you know? And she's like, if my white students are afraid to speak up in class, we can't go anywhere. We can't yeah. get anywhere, you know? You know, and so she's, you know, and I think a lot of people in academia are dealing with this. They're really trying to figure out, like, what are the ways we make it safe? enough for students to take risks, for them to say the things that they're confused about so that the elephant in the room is out there and we can talk about it. And, um, you know, so I think that this is a, this is an issue on multiple levels in our culture right now. And we've got to be, you know, really keeping our eye on that so that it, it, because then the burden does end up on people of color, people that are always the ones speaking out, the, the, you know, the voices that are like always kind of like putting themselves on the line. And yeah. that's not going to work. It's not right. working. It's not fair. It's not working. And then um, we have to have people in positions of power who are on board and who are speaking out. Yeah, I was, I had um, Imran Siddiqui uh, as part of my Explore More Summit, and he's a pop culture analyst. And one of the things that we were talking about was the arrogance that comes with expecting conversations about rape culture, patriarchy, racism to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's just such an important thing to reiterate of like, of course, it's going to be uncomfortable for yeah, us to be exactly. talking about racism and transphobia. <laughs> like, of yeah. course, it's uncomfortable when someone yeah. calls out your fat phobic bullshit, like, because yeah. it's a terrible thing. And yeah. people are suffering and dying and not having access to basic resources like this shouldn't be comfortable. And so we need to kind right. of get rid of that expectation. Um, that said, I don't think that it has to be something full of suffering. I think it can be interesting and challenging. And like, I think Mm -hmm. that's what so many of your conversations are doing. It's like, it's kind of pushing us to that edge where we're like, oh God, this is big and heavy and scary, Mm -hmm. but boy, are there some incredible people asking really important questions. Mm -hmm. And like, I want to be a part of that, even Mm -hmm. if it's kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Was there anything that surprised you in any of the conversations that you had? You know, I, I think, um, yeah, I don't know if there was any one thing that surprised me. I mean, I think like there were definite themes that came up, you know, and so those are things that I'm like noting, you know, the theme of transformative justice, the theme of what does the individual and collective work look like, you know, um, the theme of self-care and how we learn to take care of ourselves and not be so damn heroic all the time. Um, the, the need for that, you know, um, yeah. you know, and then things that I've heard a lot just being reiterated again in very beautiful ways, you know? Um, and I, you know, I think, I think a couple of the things I really appreciated was like, you know, um, you know, Delicia from, uh, Afrosexology talking about how, you know, black folks have a very different experience of sexuality and certainly of power in our culture. So then of course the responses to the trauma of black folks is going to have to be different, right? Like yes. thinking about that. Um, and then like Robin Wilson Beatty talking about, you know, that, that, you know, I love this quote, we've been putting it out on a meme this week, you know, that, um, sexuality is a natural part of being human. And we have to see that disability is also a natural part of being human, you know? And I think that, that we want to run away from that. We don't want to look at that. We, we don't want to think about like, Oh, like disability might affect me personally one day, you know, either, you know, I might deal with a, a disability or a partner or someone really close to me, you know, we don't want to look at that. That's very, very uncomfortable. And so I think, Yeah, I think just moving in closer into the discomfort and the thoughts that maybe we like to run away from uh, in our culture of avoidance, you know, I think avoidance is pretty much an epidemic 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, you know, I think there's these things that it's like, no, let's like move in closer to that and really think about what that means. And then yeah. how could I be navigating where I am right now in a very different way that creates more empowerment for when I experience that. And for those who are experiencing that now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I just, I, I think, um, something that's just so important is like moving away from thinking that it's about individuals being broken right? and realizing that it's actually the, the water we're all swimming in is bad. Yep. Uh, and being able to hold in that, that the water is bad because so many of us have not confronted conversations and thoughts and beliefs at a very personal level. So it's kind of this weird um, contradiction of like, we are fundamentally not broken, the system is, and we contribute yeah. to the system in lots of ways every day. Yeah. And so when we don't speak out for sex workers, when we don't admit publicly that we consume porn or that we masturbate, when we don't, you know, call out a coworker who's saying something problematic, like, we're keeping the water the way that it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like I I so want so many people to have a chance to hear people like Ida and Marla and Delisha and you know Janine Staples and um uh Jack Jones and I mean just these people who mm. have really really eloquent nuanced thoughts about sexuality power, pleasure, and how it all kind of comes together in this very holistic experience of humanness. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't mm-hmm. isolate sexuality or leadership from each other because they influence each other. Yeah. 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 And we oh. keep trying to do that. Oh, and you just brought up another amazing panel. I mean, the panel that Jack Jones and Lori Mintz did on, mm. you know, orgasm gap, wage gap, gender gap is, you know, is also just excellent because they go into these like very specific ways in which those gaps are created, you know, and, and, you know, any one thing on its own, we're like, okay, well, that's this thing, you know, maybe that's not such a big deal. But like, when you really add it up, and how those get, you know, and the racial gaps too, you know, we, I mean, we talked about like, there are so many gaps that are here. And, you know, and how do we start to fill in those gaps so that they, they aren't so big? You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of little things we can be doing that, yeah. that will really amount to, to bigger change. Yeah. But we can't let up. We have to continually like work on ourselves and our own awarenesses so that we can see the gaps because if we're not seeing them and, you know, we're stuck behind our own blind spots, then, you know, then the work, the work doesn't happen. And it just has to be happening on all levels. And it has to be happening with men. It has to be happening with yeah. white folks. It has to be happening with people who are able-bodied, you know, looking at the things that we we are, you know, privileged around or that or where we have, you know, um, you know, unearned <laughs> unearned mm-hmm. benefits, you know. It's like we have unearned benefits. You know, I think sometimes like people don't want to hear the word privilege, you know, we we have I have a shit ton of privilege, you know. Yeah. I mean um, you know, I'm a queer person. Yes. I'm a woman. Yes. But you know, I've got a lot of privilege. I am an able-bodied white middle-class, you know, person that, you know, is able to like use my voice and move through a lot of different spaces in the world. And so I want to be looking at where I have those unearned benefits and how I can be uplifting, um, you know, like moving to the side, right. And, and mm-hmm. uplifting a different conversation and certainly making room for other voices. And that's really what I wanted to do with this conference. Um, and, yeah. you know, I feel, I feel really, really happy of what we, for what we've done here. Yeah. And like, maybe it's just me. I know it's not only me, but I, I just, think like this concept of continually working on ourselves, yeah. of continually asking, where do I need to heal mm-hmm. so that I can better hear stories that I don't want to hear? Um, what are the stories that I, 
I've never been exposed to because hearing them would enrich my life. You know, I mean, like to continually be working on myself is full of curiosity and creativity and play, which are my favorite things. Like that feels exciting to me, knowing that like I'll never know it all, that Mm -hmm. I'm never going to be the expert on anything, really. I mean, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, I mean, ever. And and I think so many people are just kind of like, but I don't want to do that. And I want to offer like, but there's so many wonderful, incredible things that you can discover when you step in and lean into that curiosity of like, what don't I know? I mean, it might be uncomfortable, sure, but it's a heck Mm -hmm. of a lot better than feeling stuck and bored. Exactly. I mean, I think like, like, yeah, bored is, is the answer. It's just like, oh, well, if you know everything, that's not exciting. <laughs> no. you know? That's not exciting. What's exciting about that? Oh, great. So you get to be right. You get to be the one that knows all. I mean, it's just like, is that what we're aspiring to? I don't think that's what we're aspiring to. I like, hope not. <laughs> you know, the work yeah. is never done. The arrivals never happen. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. there's always more. And that's always what I've said about sexuality. You know, it's like mm-hmm. part of what makes sexuality so exciting is that there's always more to learn. I've been yeah. studying sexuality and teaching about it for nearly 25 years. Like, really, I can't even believe I can say that about anything. But yes, I'm that old, <laughs> folks. You know, it's like I've been doing this work a really long time. And there's always more that I'm learning. There's always more. So I just say that to say, no matter who you are, there's more, you know, like yeah. you can have all the degrees you need to have, you know, or want to have. And, and there's still more. So So really, like that is what is dynamic and exciting about sexuality. And then when we can be in these conversations where it like it gets us excited and we're creating intimacy and connection with other people because we're learning from each other and we're hearing each other in a new way, like that's beautiful. That's really, I think, at the end of the day, what we want. We want that connection. We want that intimacy. And the way that we're doing a lot of our movements and a lot of the social change that we're working towards, it puts us in isolation. And that's, I would say that is a big thing I'm really looking at right now. And also entrepreneurship, you know, it's just like by nature, this like solopreneur life that like puts us in this very isolated place where we're not talking to others or we're just in our own little like bubble of what we're doing. Like it's not satisfying. And I think a lot of people are starting to see that and are wanting something different. Yes. Yeah. And I just want to offer that, you know, to people who want to find some of that curiosity, that connection, that intimacy with the people in their lives, whether it's friends or sexual partners or whoever, family. I mean, to watch the talks that you're about to put out into the world, to sit there and Mm. hear Jacqueline Friedman talk about faux powerment and to be able to turn to someone you love and say, you know, When's the time when you've felt like you were performing empowerment, but afterwards felt like, wow, I really didn't actually want to do that? Right. Or to watch, you know, the panel around gynecology and to be able to ask a friend, like, what would it be like if your practitioner said, hey, do you want to swab your own cervix? Because I know, you're right? not, right? I mean, <laughs> oh, like, can you awesome. imagine? That yes. story is amazing. Like, yeah. it gives me chills. Like, as a survivor, it gives me this mm-hmm. feeling of, like, maybe I can feel more empowered when I go in, you know, for my pap smear to find a provider who's like, hey, why don't you do this yourself? I'll show you how. I don't even have to, like, touch you. Speaking of having autonomy and power during a gynecology appointment, I happen to have a little clip of the midwife who uh, I was just talking about who let her um, patient swab herself because that's what she needed. So let's hear Rasha talking about what it could mean in healthcare to actually empower our patients. I don't I don't even touch my clients until we've thoroughly kind of disseminated what all led them to sitting even in my office. And then, you know, like Kimberly said, once we're in the exam room, it's pretty much whatever they want and how they want it. Um, you know, I remember the first time I had a, a client know that if they wanted, they could skip the speculum and literally just swab themselves standing. You know, they put their foot on the, on the, on the breastfeeding stool and just swab themselves because that felt 
safe to them and that felt empowering to them. And they had never had a provider offer that as an option. No. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and they had their very specific reasons for why they needed that particular type of care. And, you know, as Kimberly said, same, same thing in birthing. I've had, I've had people call me from the hospital, have my answering service, put them through and say, I know you don't know us, but things are not going well at the hospital. Can we come to your birth center when I had a birth center? And I'm like, yeah, fax me your fax. <laughs> have the hospital fax me your records. I'll meet you at the birth center. I mean, and literally come to my birth center six centimeters because they were just like, we're not doing that. We're not, we're not doing that. And, and I was in a place where I could receive them. And I've, and I've always operated from that space. More providers more healthcare providers need to show up and meet people where they're at instead of constantly pushing their own agenda. People know their bodies. They've been in their bodies their entire lives. The time that we spend with them, doctors, you know, five minute appointments, nurse practitioners, maybe 10 minute appointments, midwives, even midwives, 45 minute to an hour visits, we still don't know that person better than they know their body. And so it's our responsibility to meet them where they're at. And if they're telling us something, to honor it. So that was Rasha Tahani Lawler, who's known as uh, Crimson Fig Midwife, speaking with Amy Jo Goddard and Kimberly Ann Johnson from the Sex, Power, and Trauma in Gynecology Birth and Motherhood panel. It is one of the most incredible panels that's happening at this conference. So if you want to hear more about being empowered in gynecology and what is possible, you so want to check that out. So anyway, back to me and Amy Jo totally geeking out. <laughs> I mean, like, to be able to have conversations around that is fantastic and juicy and wonderful. And like, let's watch these conversations together and then ask each other really incredible questions. We're going to find out so many things about each other we never even knew, mm-hmm. you know, through these free conversations that you're offering. I mean, like, to me, that's just like, literally ecstatic. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, and to me, that's like the best case scenario is like, I mean, I would love if like women's groups and activist groups and families and, you know, just like best friends, BFFs would just, yeah, would do that together and have conversations about what they're seeing that that would make me nothing would make me happier. Nothing would make me happier than if, if, if you chose, you know, every, you know, even if you're working during the day and you can't do everything during the day that like all of our evening talks all week next week that you, you know, you set aside that time at 5 p.m. Pacific or 8 p.m. Eastern with somebody else to say, let's watch this together, even if you're not in the same room, to be watching from wherever you are and to be in dialogue about it and conversation about it. You know, it's like Betty Martin talking about like what really is consent and and all the nuance she talks about and Carol Queen talking about, you know, what it really means to be sex positive and our like anti-erotic, like erotophobic culture. Like, oh my God, the, the conversation on erotophobia like needs to happen. And like Meg John Barker talking about how we need to stop really addressing the approach of LGBTQ and start talking about gender relationship and sexual diversity. Like that's a radical conversation. It's a radical shift. And yet it's so satisfying if we really think about what that would mean, you know, and like listening to a native leader like Beverly Little Thunder, who like, who, who came out in her community or in, you know, and faced a lot of homophobia, who faced death threats and was told to leave her native community and go do ceremony for her own kind. And she started the first Women's Sundance, and to my knowledge, the only one that's currently happening um, in the United States and, you know, on Turtle Island. I mean, these are like amazing stories. And these are people that, you know, and conversations we don't get to hear often enough. And so I would love it if that happened, if people really consciously approached the coming week and the conference as a place where they want to create dialogue in your lives, in your communities, in your families. Ugh, yeah. That would make me so happy. Oh my God. That would be amazing. <laughs> Do it. Do, Do it. it. <laughs> and engage men. Get yes. men to do this with you. Oh my gosh. If there was anything that could move the needle forward, like bring men into these conversations. Men will learn so much from this. We all have a lot to learn, but like, wow, I would love to see that. Yeah, me too. That would be, oh my God, that would be awesome. Yeah. Oh, and we're going to have a live workshop on 
Remembering and Reimagining Matriarchal Culture with Kristen Wilson, which I'm super excited about. She's a brilliant teacher. I've had her on many of the events that I have have hosted. She's been a part of, and she is really phenomenal. And so having, like, really getting to see, you know, not just talking about matriarchy is like, oh, yeah, that's that thing that happened. Like, really talking about what are the tenets of matriarchal culture? How can we start to bring some of those characteristics into the communities that we're in. Um, and there are some community communities that do that well. And so, so really like come and learn from her about what that looks like. And there's even ways you can bring that into your families in ways that are going to be beneficial to everyone in your family, including the men and the boys. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, for those, those who want to tune in, how can they sign up for the sex power leadership conference? It's real easy. AmyJoGoddard.com slash sexpowerleadership. So AmyJoGoddard.com, no E on the Joe, A-M-Y-J-O-G-O-D-D-A-R-D.com, sexpowerleadership. Yay. Well, yeah. I am speaking on a, one of the panels. Yeah, alongside. you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, alongside. my God. Your panel. We haven't even mentioned your panel. I know. Talk about it. Oh my God. Uh, so the, the talk was all about accessibility in the sexual liberation movement. And, um, I, I, I want to name that Janine Staples, who's on the panel with me, Chris Donahue and Robin Wilson Beatty. Man, Janine brought it. Mm-hmm. Like Janine had some really beautiful things to say about just mm-hmm. like accessibility within inside of sexual liberation. And uh, we talked about like disability and fat bodies and um, also recognizing, you know, where we're still learning. Like I know mm-hmm. a part of what I talk about at the panel was kind of that discomfort I had to confront when I realized I was being super transphobic. And kind of like the licking of the wounds that I had to do and then kind of coming out the other side of that with this Mm -hmm. like whole new clarity and kind of just like naming, of course, we're all ableist and transphobic and Mm -hmm. fatphobic, like the culture teaches us to be that way, but it's on us to start undoing that. And so like just really rich discussions around like um, men and disability and fat bodies and race, of course. Uh, So yeah, people totally tune in for that. I would love it. I will, of course, have links on the show notes and at sexgetsreal.com so you can sign up for the conference. Amy Jo, how can people also follow you online and see some of those awesome memes you're posting? Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, on Instagram, I'm sexual empowerment. And I'm Amy Jo Goddard on Twitter and Facebook. Those are the the places to find me. And um, yeah, there's there's a Facebook group for the conference. And so we're just starting to get that conversation happening. Um, I would love to see you there. So come join the Facebook group um, and be a part of the conversation because, you know, this isn't just about like watch passively watch the talks and then move on. I mean, this is about we're really going to engage the dialogue and go deeper. I mean, I'm really seeing this as like, you know, the 201, 301 class, you know, it's like me too happened. And so, and now let's like have some deeper conversation about the nuance of all of these issues. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. Sex power leadership con is, is the group on Facebook. Yeah. Woo! Okay, well, come join the Facebook group. Talk to us. We're both in there. Uh, and of course, sign up for the conference. There's going to be a link you can click if you just tap your little show notes. Amy Joe, thank you so much for coming here and chatting with all of us. This was so exciting. I cannot yeah. wait for everyone to see this. Oh my God, it's so good. I just want the whole world to see it. So yeah, Me thank too. you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, Beautiful. to everybody who tuned in, if you have questions or comments, head to sexgetsreal.com. There's a contact form there. Of course, you can submit anonymous pop over to join the Sex, Power, and Leadership Conference, both on Facebook and the conference itself. If you need anything else from me, you can hit me up on Twitter at Dawn underscore Sarah, same handle over on Instagram, and I will talk to you next week. Bye.